0: If you want to turn in your Bibles, again, we're in Acts, or in Acts, in Galatians, excuse me, chapter 1. And I'm going to start out uh, in Acts when I get going here. Um, But one of the things as we've been looking at Galatians was the revelation of Paul and where he received his message from and how he did things. And he did things a little unconventional. And that's okay, because that's sort of the way that Paul was. And so he wanted to make clear that he didn't receive his, his calling or his uh, words that he was going to say or his uh, faith that he was going to produce uh, from some other person. And this is still all part of clarifying or really letting people know about his call to apostleship. He felt a strong need to clarify his calling and and who he was. He wasn't called like the other apostles were. He didn't walk with Jesus in the physical sense that the other apostles had. Uh, He didn't learn the gospel message through just the apostles, Um, but he stands on his encounter with Jesus Christ. And so he talks about his contacts in Jerusalem here, and and we're going to go through this here uh, in just a moment. And what the scripture tells us, and we're going to go 18 through the end of the chapter, which is 24, and it says this, Then after three years I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter, and I remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now concerning the things which I write to you, indeed, before God I do not lie. Afterward, I went to the regions of Syria and Sicilia, and I was unknown by face to the churches of Judea which were in Christ. But they were hearing only. He who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith which he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God in me. Now there's quite a bit in that that scripture as he talks through things. And so I want to just bounce back a little bit to Acts uh, chapter 9. And uh, if you have it in your Bible, you can pop there. We're going to go through 26 through 29. And this is just really his talking about him being at Jerusalem. And it says, And when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him. And he did not believe, and they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. And he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road, that's the road to Damascus, and that he had spoken to him, and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. So so he was with them at Jerusalem, coming and, and going out. And he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Hellenites, but they attempted to kill him. But when the brethren found out, they brought him to Caesarea and sent him to Tarsus. Then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, Samaria had peace and were edified, and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. So that's a little bit of an insight. You see that when he first had gone to um, Jerusalem uh, the apostles really didn't want anything to do with him. They were afraid of him. They were afraid of some of the things um, that he had done and they were maybe afraid of some of the things they thought that he might also do. But he spent three years in the desert and we're going to come back to this but as we started in Galatians 1 it talks about his time away and that we know that he spent, it was just actually under three years in uh, the desert. Um, And it's really interesting how how God has trained men through history. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. But it says, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and remained with him 15 days. So we might wonder, well, what was it that he did for those three years? What was he busy about doing? We'll talk about that here in a second. Because all of us, I think, have a have a desert time in us. And when we look at this, I think we can learn a lot. But Paul only met with Peter and James, and this was James, Jesus' brother at this time. And again, this was part of his portrayal that he hadn't learned the, the gospel from any of the other disciples, that um, these were the only two that he had met and had discussed things. Now, in Acts, we read about Barnabas, and Barnabas was one who tried to uh, build a bridge. He was the one that really took Paul under his arm. It's sort of interesting if you read some of the commentaries on Paul about, they believe that that even if he hadn't become an apostle, that he was a, a brilliant man, and that he probably would have been uh, an author anyways, or people would have written about him anyways. But We know that he just met with these three. And in verse 20, it tells us something interesting too. It says, Now concerning the things which I write to you, indeed before God I do not lie. He was wanted to portray that what I am telling you is not a lie. But also by saying that, he is inferring that someone was telling a lie. Now remember when we started out Galatians, it talked about that there's only one gospel, that there were those that were trying to deceive, those that were trying to walk them down a different path. They were trying to do something other than saved by grace through faith, that you needed to do some of these laws and some of these works that were going on. So he wanted to tell people that, you know what, someone is lying here, uh, but it's not me. And he says, I stand before God. Now a lot of people today will say that. We hear that a lot from people. You know, I swear to God I didn't do it. You know, if you ever watch any of the Uh, detective shows or police shows Uh, I work in a prison where I have people they get caught doing things and they're always I swear to God I didn't do it I swear to God I didn't do it well back in biblical times and especially for the Jewish faith you did not swear to God and if you did I mean you were calling a curse down upon yourself so when he says I'm standing before God Um, These things which I, he says, These things which I write to you indeed before God, I do not lie. He's saying as God is my witness. Now we need to think about that when we talk about things. As God is our witness, because we understand that God knows all things, sees all things. And when we say those things, we're actually blaspheming God if we're saying them in a lying fashion. And so he was saying, hey, I am telling you the truth about what happened here. In verse 21 he goes on, Afterward, I went into the regions of Syria, Sicilia, and I was unknown by face to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. They hadn't seen him. They didn't know who he he was, but they had heard of him. We talked about that uh, a couple weeks ago, that they had heard of him. They knew who he was. It's interesting how a testimony can precede people. Uh, in the world, all sorts of ways. Not just our Christian testimony, but all sorts of different ways that people, they hear about us, they hear what we do through others. You know, I'm in a prison system. Our, system, our, our prison has 1,500 uh, men in it, but I think statewide, I can't remember what we have, over 20-some thousand, maybe 25,000. But it's interesting, when, when inmates get transferred uh, in or out, you know, I'll hear about some things, in other institutions. I I can hear good and bad about other officers or or, uh, sergeants or lieutenants or captains or chaplains. I can hear all sorts of things. They have a testimony that these people bring with them and I assume the same is with me. When they leave, if they have a thought of me, they may share that with somebody else, either good or bad. And so Paul had this testimony. Now for the apostles, he had a, a bad testimony. Because he had been one that had persecuted the church. They said he tried to destroy the church, right? Tells us here in a little while that he tried to destroy the church. So for a lot of believers, that was the testimony of Paul. They thought that he was out to destroy or to hurt them. They didn't know what to believe. Even the apostles themselves didn't know what to believe. But for others who Paul had uh, reached into and started touching their lives, there was another part of his testimony that had to overcome the old. Now, I want you to think about that in your life. You know, the Bible tells us such were some of you. So for some of us in our younger days, sort of wild, did some things we shouldn't have, um, you know, lived a life that that brought shame maybe to God and to our families and to our our own beings, right? We had that testimony. We had that testimony of, of, of just the world we were of the world and then we come to Christ right and now we're trying to tell people hey God has changed me and they're saying yeah right yeah right you know I when I got married we moved up here so that was 30 almost 40 years ago and uh, when I went back and saw some friends many many years later of course I was a Christian at that time I was I think a pastor maybe even at that time And, you know, it was like a jaw drop for them. You gotta be kidding me, I can't believe that. I remember you when you, and they had that testimony. So now how do you overcome the old with the new? Well, it's by the things that God teaches us. It's by the things that we say, it's by the way that we live. Because sometimes no amount of words are going to show anybody that we've changed. But it's our deeds, it's our actions, it's the way that that we present ourselves. So he says, I was unknown by face to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. So they didn't know him by face, but they knew him by reputation. But they were hearing only. He who formerly persecuted us now preaches faith, which he once tried to destroy. So he says, all they knew is what they had heard about that person. Now, there's something that be said about this in our lives as Christians. Sometimes we can hear things about people, and we might draw a, a totally different picture in our face about them, right? Or in our, our mind about them. We might hear this and think oh man that person must be terrible or rough or this or that or maybe we think hey they're gentle and this but then we meet them and sometimes that can change totally. So they're hearing these stories and really this is this is really a, a, the true account that they're hearing that he persecuted um, us now preaches the faith which he once tried to destroy. So he's saying what they were hearing was true, that this was somebody who used to hunt down Christians, who went to the leadership, said, give me some papers so if I come across these Christians along the way, that I can take them to jail, that we can try them, that we can do things to them. But now he had this Damascus experience. He met Jesus. We talked about that last week. He met Jesus, and things change when we meet Jesus. When we have a personal encounter with Jesus, things change in our life, and things are never going to be the same. And so when we look at Paul and we talk about this desert experience, uh, I want you to think about this because there's a couple things here. One is this three years in the desert. And I, and I started off by saying, you know, it's sort of amazing how uh, maybe God uh, prepares his people um, for ministry or to be a servant for him. So many times today, we can see people that get saved, and once they get saved, they automatically got this idea that this is what they want to be, or this is what they want to be. You know, I see this in, again, the prison quite a bit. I've probably dealt with more people in the prison than I have even in communities, but they get saved, and they get excited about things, or they come to studies, and all of a sudden, As a new convert, they want to be a pastor. I want to be a pastor of a church when I get out. I want to do this when I get out. I want to start this ministry when I get out. I want to do this. And those are all good things. They're things to be excited about, but I want to ask you the question, are, are you letting God prepare your heart for what he would want you to do? Because there's one thing about saying, I want to do this as a vocation, and there's another thing about doing it as a calling. Our state has... Uh, A lot of chaplains in the prison system, and I would say a majority of them that I know are not even Christians. They're not believers. It's a vocation that they do. It's just something that they do for a paycheck. It's something that they do to provide uh, a state-mandated right. But when there's a calling on a person's life, and by the way, there's probably pastors along those same lines. They do it just for one reason and one reason only. But when there's a calling on your life, That means that you're hearing something. When you receive a call, you know, you pick up the phone and you say hello. And then the person on the other side begins to talk. Calling is when God calls you. So how did God begin to prepare Paul? Well, he started out by saying that he was three years, right? After three years, he says, I went up to Jerusalem. Well, what was he doing for three years? Well, we have little glimpses of different things. Romans 7 talks a little bit about it, where I think he was trying to minister on his own, but he was a new convert, and he was really probably struggling with things. But he was out in this desert, and a desert is a place really, um, when we think about it, is what? It's sort of a, a hot, barren, desolate place, if you think of deserts. You know, it's a place you don't want to go through, like Death Valley, we think about that. No water, there's scorpions and snakes. Well, the deserts in the biblical times were, were similar to that. They were dangerous places. They were where the criminals would hang out. They were places that didn't have the conveniences that we have in other places. And so when we look at deserts in our life, how has God trained his men? Well, when we look at Moses, Moses learned out in the desert, right? When we look at Abraham, Abraham was also out in the desert. Elijah had a similar uh, circumstance where he spent time out in the desert. David, when he was running from King Saul, was out in the the wilderness anyways, uh, running from him, but he was learning from God. And so is it in these dry, barren, barren times of our life that we can really learn things, where we can get focused on things? And I think in Paul's life, and I've studied Paul's life, Um, pretty extensive, because I I just, I I love the way that Paul unfolds to me anyways. When he was young, we're going to talk about the three stages of his life, but you know, when he was young, he was a little bit rambunctious, but as he got older, he sort of mellowed out, and he he came into what I call more of a grace mode, more of a a spirit-moved ministry in his life. But Paul spent three years out there also, and so when I was looking at this, I was thinking, well, what about us? Have we been in deserts in our life? Maybe you're in a desert right now. You know, not a physical desert, but a, a spiritual desert. Maybe you're in a, uh, an emotional desert. Maybe you're in a healthcare desert right now. You're just worried about these things, and you, you don't know where to go or what to cling to. And so when we are in those things, you know, we need to understand this, that when the rain comes... And the Bible talks about when God brings rain, what happens to a desert? It springs to life, doesn't it? That which was once dead and and looked barren for for forever and ever. And sometimes it can be that way for years. If you've ever watched some of the documentaries on, on nature, a desert can lay dormant for years and years and years and years. And all of a sudden the rain comes and what happens? Things begin to bloom, things begin to grow, things begin to become beautiful and we see a whole different aspect of what that desert was. So I want to encourage you, if you're in a desert right now, just hang on because when God brings the rain, when God brings the change in your life, things are going to happen and things are going to become beautiful. And so when I looked at Paul's life through this, and he sort of explains this in the last Uh, three verses 21 through 24 he sort of talks about periods of his life or I like to look at the periods of Paul's life so again he says afterwards I went into the the regions of uh, Syria and Sicilia and I was unknown by faith to the churches which were in Christ but they were hearing only he who formerly persecutes now preaches the gospel which he tried to destroy and he ends it this way and they glorified God in me You know, just briefly, when we look at the periods of Paul's life, and I would encourage you to really study this out for yourself, because it's very interesting, and maybe it can mirror some of our lives. First was, Paul's life as a Pharisee. He was a proud Pharisee. I mean, he was a a proud person. Now men, when when you talk about the difference between men and women, one, one of the characteristics with men most of the times is they like... To be respected. They don't like to lose face. Again, in the prison system, I've learned this as a, even when I was in security, I learned that most of the people weren't so worried about the consequence about what was going to happen as long as they could save face, as long as you respected them as a human or respected them as a man. And your approach with them would be a whole lot of difference on how they were going to respond. So if I went up there and said, hey, you, you dirty no good, you're going to say, you're going to do this, you're going to do that, and this is what I'm telling you, and you're going to do it one way or the other. It was going to be a fight the whole way, right? They wanted respect. They wanted to be validated as a person, even if they were wrong. And so you could approach them a, a different way. But Paul was a very proud uh, Pharisee. He was a brilliant man. If you read the scholars on Paul's life, he was an absolutely brilliant Pharisee. I mean, he knew the laws. He was well educated. He was well uh, taught. You know, he could present himself very well. You could say he was uh, just like the Greeks, a, 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 an orator. He was very good at those things. But he was very proud and he would not be told what to do or what to do or how to do it. He was a man's man and he was one that was going to stand up for his beliefs. And thus, he was very zealous as a Jew to persecute Christians, because he didn't believe Jesus was the Messiah. And so, he was very zealous. He wasn't like some of us that are sort of passive on those things, just saying, ah, let him blow off smoke and whatever, it will fade. You know, if it's not of God, it will go away. No, he wanted to take control of the situation. That's how Paul was. Um, And again, many scholars say he would have been published even if he wasn't a Pharisee. But that was his first stage of life, very proud. And then all of a sudden he has this encounter on the Damascus Road. And we can read about that again in in Acts 9, and we read that I think a week or two ago, about his encounter as he was walking along, and he was struck down, knocked down to the ground, and and he sort of called out, you know, uh, you know, who are you, you know? And Jesus answered, I am Jesus, who you are persecuting. There was his first encounter of meeting Jesus. He found that he did not know Jesus. He thought he knew everything, but he didn't know Jesus. And Jesus brought him to his knees, brought him to that place of revelation, and Paul realized from that point on who Christ was. And he asked him at that moment, on the ground, on the road, blinded by this light with... His witnesses around that could hear the sound and see the light, but they couldn't see who Jesus was. But he asked the Lord, he says, what will you have me to do? All of a sudden, this man who was the strong leader, who told everybody else what to do, is now asking Jesus what to do. This is the second part of his life. This is a point where we need to come to, I believe, for most of us in our life. What will you have me to do? Romans 7:24 says this, O oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? This is Paul crying this out as a Christian, as a new convert, beginning his, his walk. He was, he was confused as a new convert. He was trying to figure it all out. These three years, I believe, were a struggle for him because he was sort of battling this proud Pharisee mentality that he had in his life and coming to this point where God wants to humble us and wants to use us and wants to make us soft and pliable in his hand. And he says, what will you have me to do, Lord? And so we see that part of submissiveness at this point, this part of willing to do what it is that God wanted him to do. And we can see again in new converts, they get very excited about that and sometimes want to get the cart before the horse. But God will tell each of us that there's a time of learning. Paul talks about that in Corinthians where he says, you know, you should be eating meat, but I got to give you milk yet. He's saying you should have grown, you should have learned more, you should have been more mature in how you respond to things. But he's saying really basically you're like an infant, you're like a baby. We have to spoon feed this yet. I think Paul understood that firsthand that when he got saved, he wanted to go out and take the world by storm as he did by a Pharisee, except now he was rejected by the Jews. They didn't want him anymore because he had switched allegiances. He was no longer for them. He was against them. He wasn't wanted by the, by the apostles because they feared for him and because he had persecuted the church. And, and, you know, us Christians have long memories and we like to hold grudges sometimes. And I think those apostles were afraid and didn't really want to let him in to that inner circle. But thank God for people like Barnabas who came alongside and testified on his behalf and sort of walked with him. Because we can only imagine maybe, you know, and again, we believe in the sovereignty of God, but what would have Paul's life been like if he didn't have somebody like Barnabas to come alongside of him and walk with him? So we see the second period. We see the first period, the proud Pharisee. We see the second period where he finds out he doesn't know everything and he meets Jesus. Jesus has something for him to do. But then the third one, Part of it, I believe, is, is really where Paul learned to walk in the Spirit. You know, D.L. Moody had a, um, a great quote that said, Some people have just enough religion to make them miserable. And I want you to think about that. Some people have just enough religion in their life to make them miserable. They get, they get hung up in, in some of the do's and the don'ts and the, the legalities of, of different things. But we understand as Christians that when Jesus left, he said, I'm not going to leave you as orphans, but I'm going to send you a comfort. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit in your life. That was a gift that we had that the Old Testament people didn't have. The Holy Spirit now lives within us and dwells within us. There's times where uh, they were confronted with facing uh, those in, uh, in opposition to them. And it's to depend upon the Holy Spirit of what to say. I think many times we need to understand that, we need to do that, we need to apply that in our life, to lean upon the Holy Spirit for what we need to do, what we need to say, what we need not to say, okay? We don't need to be people, you know, and we've met those people, and maybe you've been one, and maybe I've been one, that can't let a thought stay in their head. It has to come out. You know, God doesn't desire that. God tells us to take every thought captive. So we need to think of what we say before we say it, and we need to think of what we do before we do it. And I really believe that that was Paul's third transition in his life, was, was to walk in the Spirit. You know, This was the time when we really see in his life that he began to live for God. So there's, things, there's times in our life when we're doing things for God, but I want to tell you that I believe it's different to live for God than to do for God. Because to do for God is like a list of, of chores. I have to do these things. But to live for God is something that indwells us, and it's something that leads us, and we can walk in it. And we know that God is with us in it. And it's no longer a chore. It's no longer work to us. You know, for many times, I think, as as young converts, or at least in my life as a young convert, it was still a work to go to church. You know, I still, oh, i got to get ready. i got to do this. i got to do that or it was work to, to read my Bible, it was work to have a devotion, it was work to go to prayer. But when you begin to walk in the Spirit, all of a sudden those things become natural. You'll find yourself driving down the road and, and just talking with the Lord. Amen. Just having that com- communication with Him. Or you'll find yourself talking with somebody and all of a sudden the Lord comes up. Or you'll be looking at something uh, out in nature. You know, I was out in the woods the last couple of days and just looking at things and just praising God for the beauty of what I'm looking at and thinking that He created that vision just for me to see, just at that moment. You know, when we depend upon the Spirit in our life, and again, the Spirit is always going to be in agreement with the Word of God, okay? I always got to point that out because a lot of people like to say, I just want to walk in the Spirit, but they don't want to read the Word, they don't want to get in the Bible. Or if they feel that the Spirit is leading them contrary to the Bible, they say, well, the Spirit told me to do this. Well, no, it didn't, because the Spirit of God also has truth in His Word. So they're always in conjunction with one another. But the Spirit makes it enjoyable in your life. It really fulfills that. It gives us that peace that surpasses all understanding. It gives us that discernment in our life. It gives us, really, the the, the comfort in our life of knowing that it's going to be okay. We're in the desert. It's hot and dry and dusty. We don't see anything growing. But when we have the Spirit in us, we know that eventually the rain's going to come and the beauty is going to show forth because God has given us those promises. So it's at this point, really, where Paul can say goodbye, selfishness. He can say goodbye, pride in my life. Goodbye, self-reliance. Goodbye, bitterness. Goodbye, unforgiveness. And he can walk anew in the freshness. Now, Paul had struggles early on in his life. We saw that uh, with, with Mark, right? And, you know, we can talk about that at a different time, but later on, he was thankful when Mark came. So we see a change that took place. As I studied Paul's life from beginning to end, and again, I've probably shared this a dozen times with the church, you know, I saw somebody that was headstrong and, and over time, I just saw how God softened and softened and softened. And all the way to when he was in prison, that, that his ministry was so grace-filled, that his speech was so grace-filled, that his actions were so grace-filled. It was sort of a, the opposite of the coin that we saw, Paul, at the beginning of his life. And what that shows me is that there's hope for each and every one of us. There's hope for me. That God's not done with me yet. He's continuing to mold me and make me, to transform me. And he wants to do the same for you. So when we look at this, when I ask you, what desert are you in? Look and see. And take that time to really look and answer the question, what is God trying to tell me at this time? We all go through struggles in our life for a purpose. It's to help us grow. It's to help us mature. It's to help us learn more about Him. And until our eyes get off of ourself and our eyes get onto Him, that's never going to happen. If the world or the church or whatever it is that we're involved in is all about me, that's going to be your whole world, all about you. But when we lift our eyes to the heavens and we look at God and see what He has, it's just like that conversion on the Damascus road. You know, the light is bright and the result is, is eternal. God wants to change us and he wants to make us into something new. Are we willing to do that? Are we willing to go through the desert knowing and believing that God has a change for us? Let's pray. Father, we thank you again, Lord, for all that you do in our life. We thank you for your great mercy. We thank you, Lord, for your grace. We thank you for your love. But on the other side, Lord, we also thank you for your correction in your discipline. Lord, we pray that no matter what stage of life we're in, no matter what it is that we are going through, that we can look to you and say, Lord, what would you have me to do? Paul understood on that road to Damascus when he met Jesus that it was a life-changing event. And Lord, may we as believers Know that our relationship with Christ is a life-changing event. It's not that we have given Jesus our heart and, and we're good to go, but it's that God is changing our heart through Jesus. And as he begins to change our heart, our lives begin to change. And as our lives begin to change, we begin to impact change around us. Lord, help us to let go of those things that we don't need in our life. Help us to move beyond just the pure emotions, Lord, and and to look to you for our substance, for our answers, and for our hope. And Lord, may we be able to share that hope and encouragement to others around us. We thank you again for our church family here. Lord, the work that you have called us to do, may we ever be ready to give an answer for that hope that lives within us. May we ever be ready to help those that are in need in our community need in our life. Lord, you haven't called us as Christians to, to retire, to sit back in our, our easy chair and watch life go by and, and just get ready to go home. Lord, you have called us to be workers in your field. So Lord, help us to be that. Help us to get out, to spread the gospel, and to make a difference in the lives around us. But let it begin with me. We ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen.